listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Somebody say craving. Come on, say it loud. Say craving. Last week I told you we all have appetites. We all have cravings. And if you're not fulfilled or if you're lacking in a, an area of your life, you, you will develop a craving there. And, and the enemy knows that. And the longer that an appetite goes unattended, the stronger it becomes. Whatever it is that you're craving in life, the stronger it becomes when it's left unattended. And, and Adam and Eve, as we learned last week, they were, they were fulfilled physically. They didn't lack food. God gave them every tree in the garden to eat from except for one, the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, they were not hungry for food. They were hungry for knowledge. And, and sometimes we can get ahead of God because they were not mature enough yet. They were a grown man, a grown woman, but, but they were not mature enough yet. And, and, and God knew that, but yet they wanted that knowledge. They were hungry. They were craving that knowledge, and that's exactly where the enemy will tempt you, where you're lacking, where you're craving, in the place where you feel depleted. There is a, a Native American tradition that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation, and it is the telling of a tale of two wolves. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but it's the story of a Cherokee Indian grandfather and his grandson. And the grandfather said to the grandson, he says, I have a fight going on in me. He said, it's, it's taking place between two wolves. He said, one is evil and, and he is anger. He is envy, sorrow, regret. He's, he's greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority. Lies, he said, it's false pride, superiority, and, and even ego. He said, but the other wolf is good. It's joy, it's peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And he said, both wolves are fighting to the death. And, and the same fight, he said this to his grandson, he said, the same fight is going on inside of you and every other person too. The grandson took all of that information in for a moment and reflected on it. And, and then he asked his grandfather this question. He said, which wolf will win? Which wolf will win? The old Cherokee grandfather replied, the one you feed. What a great lesson for us. What a great lesson for us to, to understand that whatever we feed grows. And that is the message today. It is, it is really that simple. And it seems to be popping up in so many conversations that I'm having lately. I don't know if this is, 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 is just a revelation that God has, has birthed in my heart for, for a season like this. But almost every conversation I'm having with people right now, I'm looking at them and I'm just saying, listen, you, you've got to choose what you're going to feed in this situation. You, you've got to determine what you want to grow because... In our struggle with, with curbing and correcting our cravings, what if it is as simple as feeding what we want to grow? Whatever you want more of in your life, it must be nourished, nourished, it must be cared for, but whatever you want less of, it has to be starved and it has to be malnourished. What if it really is that simple? 
The Apostle Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He said, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Wow. Feed what you want to grow. If you want the Spirit of God to flourish in your life, feed it. But you cannot feed the flesh and expect the Spirit to win. Paul said, you've got flesh and Spirit that are fighting for control of your life. And whatever you want to win, you must feed it. Whatever you want to to rise up in victory... Whichever one you want to be champion in your life, the flesh or the spirit, you've got to learn to feed it. Have you ever seen a situation where there's one group of people that they can see God's promises and there's another group of people staring at the same situation but all they see is life's problems? Some people can only see promises. Other people can only see problems. One person is optimistic, but the other person is pessimistic. For years and years, my, my dad, before he passed away, man, everyone that knew my dad, they knew that this guy just had an outlook on life. Like, it, it's going to work out. Whatever dad faced in life, it was going to work out. And some people called him, you know, just, he was an optimist, a forever optimist. That's who he was. I look at it, and I, I notice that my dad, he wasn't living off optimism. My dad was living off faith. My dad just believed. As a matter of fact, my dad said until, I mean, the day he died, he said, I'm not going to die. I'm going in the rapture. He said, when, when Christ comes back for his church, that's how I'm leaving. Now, my dad did, did pass away, but he had the faith to believe that he wasn't going to. And that's how my dad lived his life, just full of faith. What is it about these people? The person full of faith or the, the opposite, the person that's, that's usually full of fear. What is it about these people that allows them to see life in such contrast from one another? There's not a better example of these opposing mentalities than when the Israelites spied out the promised land. I'm going to be reading from Numbers chapter 13 today. Numbers chapter 13. And I think if you're familiar with this story, you'll quickly see these opposing mentalities, and and hopefully we can pull something out of this today. Now, I do want to apologize to some of the men in the room that attend Man Up. I know just a few months ago we ended a series on Joshua, and and we covered some of this territory. But today, I I really want to bring out some other points out of this that I think are beneficial for us as, as we try and curb some of these cravings that we have. Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to be reading numerous verses today, so just hold your Bibles open, if you will. Numbers 13. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. That's the promised land, which I am giving to the people of Israel. There it is. There's the promise. I'm giving this land. God said, I'm going to give you this land. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, All of them, men who were heads of the people of Israel. We'll stop right there just for a moment, but but the verses that follow is what's important. Because 
we read through it and we just read a list of names uh, and, and they're very specific names of the men that, that Moses selected to spy out the promised land. You'll, you'll read it of names like Shemua or Shephat. There's Caleb and there's, there's Egal and there's Hosea. There's Paltai, Gadiel, Gadi and Amiel, Sather, Nabi and Gael. Names that don't mean much to us, but, but if you know this story, you'll notice that there is one name that is missing from the list. And it's a significant name. It's a very important name to this story, and his name is Joshua. If you know the rest of the story, you know that there, there's 12 spies that Moses sent according to the instructions of the Lord. He sent these 12 spies into the promised land to check it out, to see what we're getting into. I mean, this is the land God has given us, but we don't want to go into it blindly. So he sends them in to spy out the land. God, God says, pick, pick one man from each tribe, send them in. And, and they go in, and we know that 10 of those spies return back with a negative report. Many of you know the story. You, you know that 10 come back, and they say, we can't do it. We can't do it. The people there are too big. Uh, the, 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 the walls around the cities, they're, they're too tall. There's just no way that we're going to be able to do this. But you know that there's two spies that came back that said, we can do this. We certainly can do this. We must do this. God has given us this land. We've got to do this. And their names were Joshua and Caleb. We know this, but yet they're not listed. Or Caleb is, but Joshua's not. Joshua's name is not listed there. So where is Joshua on this list? And we get our answer in, in Numbers 13 and verse 8. Listen to verse 8. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea the son of Nun. Verse 16. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses changes Hosea's name to Joshua. And this is so significant. Don't miss it. Hosea means salvation. It feels right. Knowing what God has called him to do, salvation seems right. We know what happens. They don't enter the promised land because all the people side with the ten. But, but we, we know that because of that, they, they have to spend 40 years. And after 40 years in the wilderness, God uses Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And so salvation, Hosea, salvation is an appropriate name for him. From his birth, his name was destined for greatness and for the call that was on his life. Have you ever met someone that they have the perfect name for their occupation? You ever met someone like this? I did some research on it. Like neuroscientist Lord Brain. It's fitting, right? Or ophthalmologist Ashley Seawright. I, I think you get what I'm saying. Or, or international tree climbing champion Scott Forrest. He's created for that. Like from birth, you knew what this guy was going to do. I like this one. Formula One race car driver, Scott Speed. But my favorite, lawyer, Sue Yu. Perfect, right? Real name. Hosea's name given at birth meant salvation. So fitting for what God is going to do with his life. But church, listen to me. How many of you know that what God wants to do in your life, it cannot, it, 
It, it should not be accomplished by your own might, by your own power, and especially by your own name. What God wants to do in your life, it should never be able to be accomplished by your own might, your own power, and your own name. Listen, if using your name can open up all of the doors that God wants to open for your life, you're probably pursuing the wrong thing. Because what God wants to do is exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or think. What God wants to do in your life is so much greater than what your name can do. The, the doors that he wants to open, your might and your power will never get you into those doors. But Moses named him Yehoshua. Yehoshua, a small change from Hosea, but he renamed him Yehoshua, or Jehoshua, which means one by whom Jehovah will save. Small change, but so significant. It's a, it's a shift in mentality. In other words, it's, it's like Moses was looking at him and saying, Joshua, you're not going to do this on your own. Your name meant salvation. And if you're not careful, you're going to try and accomplish it through your own means. But, but, but you're not going to do this on your own. No, the Lord is going to fight this battle for you. If you want to understand how a man operates in faith, if you want to understand what is the difference between a person that operates in faith and a person that operates in fear, it simply boils down to one thing. Do they understand that their God will fight for them? Do they get it? Do, does it really sink into their spirit? God, I hope you get this today. God, I hope that you understand that, that, that God is going to see you through it. If you will just put your faith in him, your trust in him. We've said it so many times around here. I preach it all the time, but without faith, it's impossible to please God is what the Bible says. And, and, and because God knows that, that faith, faith, faith is what it takes to get us through this thing called life. To, through every battle that we have to face, through every trial that we have to face, through every temptation that we have to face. It's just faith, just faith in knowing that my God not only can, but that my God will. And that's what separated Joshua and Caleb from the multitude, which I don't even have time to get into that today, the multitude. Some of you need to stop going with the crowd. You, you're allowing society to think for you, and it's ruining your faith. I don't have time to get into that. Let's, let's keep moving on. There's no extra. First service didn't get that. That's just for you. Joshua. Yehoshua. It's not going to be under your own power and ability. It's going to be under the power of the one who's sending you. And it's so interesting to me. The New Testament translation of this name is where we get the name Jesus from. Jesus, which means Savior sent by God. How many times do we hear Jesus say, I'm not here doing my own thing. I'm here under the power of my Father. Savior sent by God. 
Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev, go up into the hill country and see what the, what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad or whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. Think about that. That makes a difference. If you're going in to take over a land and they're just, they're just camping versus a city with a wall around it, that's a big difference. He said, go check it out. Verse 20. Whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And they came to the valley of the skull and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of skull because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows of milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Now, this is what would tick me off right here. Don't bring me the fruit of the land if you're about to tell me we can't inhabit that land. I don't know what they were trying to prove here, but I mean, it, I, if I'm going to say no to this, like I'm not in favor of this, if I'm one of the 10 spies, I eat what fruit I want and I don't give anybody else any hope and, and they bring the fruit. So at the end of verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land that they gave. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Whew. Think about this, church. Joshua and Caleb look at the same situation. It's identical. Twelve men went in. They all saw the same thing. Ten walk out and see it one way. But not Joshua and Caleb. Because when they look at that land, they see promise. They see destiny. They see possibilities for them and for their children. When Joshua and Caleb walked into that land, they saw milk. They saw honey. They saw grapes. They saw pomegranates. They saw figs. And that had to sound amazing to a group of people that had been surviving off of manna, quail, and water. I mean, their diet is about to change if they just have the faith to walk into it. 
Life is about to change for them if they can just put their faith in the one who has made the promise. Milk, honey, grapes, pomegranates, figs, that adds variety to the diet. Not to mention if there's milk, there's beef. Think about it. If there's milk, there's, there's beef. That means there's hamburgers, steaks, filet mignon. You ready to pray and just go eat? Mandy, I think you need to take me to a restaurant today with steak. I preached hard today. I, I earned it. Yeah, you're good with that? I knew you would be. That's a steak and potatoes kind of girl right there. Honey. If there's honey, there's bees. That means the bees, you, you, you know how it works. They're pollinating all the fruit. There's stuff to eat in this land. This place is going to be amazing. And that's what Joshua and Caleb can see. But the other ten were not convinced. Because here's what they see. Large cities, large walls, large people, giants. This is what they said. They're so large that we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Watch the progression here. We look like grasshoppers in our own eyes first. And by the way, they thought that we looked like grasshoppers too. This is a great lesson for us to learn. They looked like grasshoppers in their own eyes first. Then, then the so-called giants thought that they looked like grasshoppers as well. In time, others will start to see you as you see yourself. Whatever mentality you have allowed the enemy to create in your own mind on how you see yourself, others will start to see you that way too. So if you see yourself as weak, eventually... Others are going to see you as weak. If you see yourself as strong, eventually others are going to see you as strong. They're going to see that confidence. If you see yourself as undeserving, others are going to see you as undeserving. If you see yourself as defeated, others will begin to see you as defeated. But if you see yourself victorious, others will begin to see you as victorious. Because how you see yourself, eventually others will begin to see you that way. And if you compare yourself to the size of a grasshopper, it doesn't matter who you have to fight because they're all giants. If you compare yourself to a grasshopper, anybody and everybody that you come in contact with has the ability to squash you. So if you think you're a grasshopper, yes, the inhabitants of the land, they see that too. They see how timid you are. They, see, they, they, they understand that you don't have the confidence to walk into this land and to take it. But we don't see things as they are. There was no way that they could see the promised land for what it really was. Because we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. That's how we, that's how we process. Everything, every problem, every obstacle, every situation, it goes through the filter of our own eyes. And we see these things as we are. And when we are confident in God, we see opportunities. But when we are are, are, are shallow in our faith, we see problems. 
You, you can't call yourself by what the enemy calls you. Some of you have bought into this lie. You cannot call yourself by what the enemy calls you. You've got to start calling yourself by what God calls you. Yehoshua. One by whom Jehovah will save. When Joshua started seeing himself through the eyes of God, he knew that there was nothing that could conquer him and the people of God. When you start seeing yourself through the eyes of God, when you start, listen, you underestimate the power and the ability of God because you know your past, but when you become a child of God, he is faithful to forget your past. The enemy is the one that keeps reminding you of your past. The reason why some of you are grounded and, and, and the reason why you cannot move past where you're at is because you're stuck in your past because you keep calling yourself by what the enemy calls you. And you're living life as a loser. You're living life as a has-been. You're living life conquered because he said that you're conquered. But that's not what God says about you. God says you're faithful. Scripture says that he counts us faithful. Let's be honest right now. Just for one moment. Just for one moment. Then we're going to cast this aside, okay? How many of you have ever thought, I'm just not faithful to God? You go through a moment in life and you're like, I, I let him down again. But the scripture says that he counts you faithful. Not because of what you've done, but because you're clothed in the grace of God by what Jesus Christ is. If you're a child of God, if, if, if you bear the name Christian, you are covered in the grace of God through Jesus Christ your Lord. And God doesn't see your unfaithfulness. What he sees is you as faithful. Some of the men in the room, you need to see yourself as God sees. God sees you, regardless of how you see yourself. He sees you as a man of God because God doesn't look at your past. He looks at your potential. And God sees you as a man of God. Some of you women, you need to start seeing yourself as a woman of God because that's how God sees you. You're a good father. You're a good mother. You're a faithful husband. You are a faithful wife. That's how you have to begin to see yourself. God sees you as victorious. God sees you as more than a conqueror. When are you going to start seeing yourself that way? Because until you start seeing yourself that way, you'll never walk into the promise that God has for you. Because the enemy has convinced you of his lies. And, and it's a lie until you make him a believer. And, and, and he will lie to you, and he will lie to you, and lie to you. And when you start believing it, then he knows that he can believe it. But the lies he's whispering to you right now, he doesn't believe it until you buy into it. He's the father of lies. He knows it. And he's wanting to create some truth in your life that is contrary to what God's called you to. And some of you are falling for that. Because whatever you feed grows. If you feed faith, it grows. If you feed fear, it grows. Many of you have heard the stories of our dog, our miniature Dotson, known as Cece, short for Chopper Chick. 
Most of you didn't know that, but that's, that's what CC stands for, chopper chick. But what most of you don't know is that Mandy's grandparents own CC's half-sister, also known as Corky. And they called her a boy most of the time. This dog is so confused. But Corky is CeCe's half-sister, and Mandy's grandparents actually bought Corky before we bought CeCe. We went to the, to the same breeder, and we ended up getting you know, the half-sisters. But, but when you look at them, these two dogs don't look anything alike. They just don't. They're the same color. They're the same type of dog. I mean, I guess technically they're both about the same height and length, you know, miniature Dotson, so they're, they're just... But when, when you look at them and, and their width, they don't look like they're from the same family. They don't even look like the same species when you look at them and, and you, you start looking at their size. They, they just don't. Cece has only been fed dog food and dog treats her entire life. Dog food and dog treats, that's it. You might say, well, you have you know, deprived that dog. Okay. But my dog doesn't sit there and beg for table scraps either like your dog does. But that, you enjoy your dinner. But no. Cece has been on a strict diet of dog food and dog treats. And not just any dog food, a certain type of dog food that my wife says is the only dog food that we can give her. So we, we follow the strict diet. Corky? That dog's entire life, they have fed that dog table scraps. I, I don't want to talk bad about a female. I don't. I know. My, my, my mom and dad taught me better than that. But I'm, I'm just going to put it like this. It shows. Corky has, how would we say it, a fuller figure, bless her heart, while Cece remained lean, like her dad. Because whatever you feed grows. It's not a hard concept. This is so elementary today. Whatever you feed grows. When Mandy married me, I weighed 170 pounds. 170, six foot two, 170 pounds. Mandy started feeding me. See, before we were married, I was living off love. You know what it's like, late nights. When we weren't together, we were on the phone, falling asleep on the phone, talking to each other, you know, living off love. Sounds like a good country song, doesn't it? But when we got married, and some of you can relate to this, you can't just live off love. Oh, I don't have time for that. Come to the marriage conference. You can't just live off, because sometimes, listen guys, I'm just going to throw this out there. Marriage is like this. It's a roller coaster. It's good, it's bad. It's good, it's bad. If you'll stick, out, stick it out, it's the rhythm of love. It comes back. Okay, it comes back. Just, just stay with it long enough. It'll come back. But in the valley... When you can't live off love, Rocky needed food. Man can't live by love alone, but from everything that comes from the stove of Mandy. And for the first five years of our marriage, I gained 10 pounds a year and a few more cents. Because what you feed grows. 
when it comes to your life, when you're warring between the, the flesh and the spirit, whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed grows. It's interesting to me, church, that in Genesis, Satan was a snake. In Revelation, he's a dragon. What are we feeding him? It's time to stop feeding the serpent. Whatever you feed grows. Stop feeding your fears. Stop feeding your anxiety. Stop feeding your addiction. Stop feeding your flesh. We want God to remove these beasts from our lives. But we continue to feed and nourish them. How can we expect God to remove things from our lives that we're feeding? We're building an army and we don't even realize it. An army to fight against the will and ways of God. Because God doesn't want you fearful. God doesn't want you full of anxiety. Stop feeding the flesh. Romans 12 and 3 says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We understand, and some of you have heard me teach this, and, 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 and it's true, but we understand that all it takes is, is the faith of a mustard seed to move mountains. That's what Jesus said. Just, just faith of a mustard seed just to move a mountain. I don't know if that's how it starts. I don't know if like in each one of us that, that God just puts a mustard seed amount of faith within us. And that's where we begin. I, I don't know, but I don't think that God has unfairly distributed more faith to one person over another. And I'm not talking about the spiritual gift of faith. That's different. I'm just talking about for all of us that, that just have faith. That God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. And I don't think he's unfair about it. I think what it is is it's just that some people have taken that measure of faith that we all have and they, they have nurtured that faith and they have cared for that faith and they have fed that faith and that faith grows and it's the difference between walking into the promised land and spending the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Because when you feed your faith, your faith grows. And there was a generation after the generation that doubted, there was a generation that got to go into the promised land because they were full of faith and they understood that our God will go with us and our God will fight for us and they got it. They understood it because whatever you feed grows. Whatever you feed grows. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.